What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita. We're back here in action on Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. Last week, we had a great episode with Survivor winner Danny Boatwright, uh, who is a big sports girl. So we talked some sports uh, and as well as her time on Survivor. She'll be back later this week. We're going to talk some more sports. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, going off last episode, we're sticking with the reality TV theme. We've got someone who came <laughs> so close to winning Survivor in the year 20, uh, 2011. Wow, my goodness, 12 years ago. Uh, Survivor finalist who played college baseball and a great friend of the show, Albert Destrade. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, Jack. Glad to be back. And yeah, it's so close uh, yet so far. We got one. <laughs> one day we got to do an episode where we we it's funny because I've had all these Survivor contestants on. We've like never talked about Survivor together on this show. Yeah, we can do it. It'd be, it'd be like my own personal therapy again on your program. We can get to do, you know uh, <laughs> dig into the why and the what and to why I was just so close from that million dollars and uh, talk all things Jeff Probst. I'd love to do it. <laughs> and also joining us returning to the show once again is the uncle of Albert Destrade. Now, this man did not come close to winning Survivor. In fact, he hasn't nope. been on reality TV before, but he had a great baseball career playing both in Major League Baseball and playing in Japan. Uh, he was doing a lot of stuff for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was doing their pregame, postgame show for over a decade. He formerly was on Baseball Tonight on ESPN. He's got a show on SiriusXM where he talks baseball, um, and he's been doing a lot of XM for a while. We welcome the big O, Arrestus Destrade. Hey, Jack, and, uh, and my nephew, my dear beloved Al D. Jr. there. Uh, I hope you're feeling okay, Albert. It's not a little raspy. I know you're under the weather, so it's good to have you on here. And it's great to be on with you again, Jack Vita. Um, uh, all things sports and mainly baseball. And uh, it's good to see you again, kid. Oh, great to great to have you guys back. It's a party. It's early in the season. Hopefully, we'll doing some be doing some more of these. But right now, we're getting into you know May. Baseball is really picking up steam. Um, Arrestus, before we, we get into all of that, I know you had a really great experience at the World Baseball Classic. I, I thought you might want to share a little bit about your time. I really did. I mean, my ties to Japan, you know, are, are deep, uh, dating back to uh, my jumping over there from the Pirates uh, in 1989 and, and being able to, to really flourish uh, over there before I came, you know, and, and, and led the Marlins home runs and RBIs in 93 and 94. Then I ended up going back again after the strike in, in 94. So my tenure is long and deep. And then I, after I retired, I continue to go back and forth there numerous, numerous times. Obviously, COVID put a, 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 a snafu on, on any American traveling to Japan, as, as was uh, – Shown by not any fans at all, and in the, in the, well, they they closed down the doors to anybody really for the Olympics when they hosted that. So it was really neat that that's opened up again as at the end of last year, uh, which has also opened up a lot of opportunities for me to kind of re-engage, reconnect with Japan. That led me to um, being involved with uh, TV Asahi and also some of the people behind the scenes of the, the WBC. In fact, my nephew was was there at the game. I brought him up in that, you know, incredible game 
against USA. So I was able to be at their practices on Sunday and then watch, you know, the couple of games that was on. To be candid with you, I was glad the U.S. knocked out Cuba uh, until Cuba's free in a, a free regime. Um, I don't want them in the finals, so that's the way I feel about it. And uh, so they knocked them out. Then I had to suffer through an incredible game on that Monday night where Mexico looked, they were just looking so strong. They, I, I was surprised they beat Puerto Rico. And and uh, they went out and took care of that business. And then they almost un- upended, you know, the, the powerful team, Japan. Japan had a comeback of the ages. When you really kind of, if you get a chance, if you're a diehard baseball fan, rewatch or watch that game because uh, all the nuances that went on in that game, you know, Gonda's plays, the, the strikeout throw them out between Kai at, at home plate and Ganda uh, at, at, at shortstop, you know, putting the tag for, for a double play against Team Mexico. Ganda's <laughs> over-the-back catch uh, later on, like around the seventh inning, you know, his sacrifice bunt with two strikes and then the sacrifice, <laughs> uh, and then obviously the walk-off by Murakami, you know, uh, led to a historic um Team Japan, Team USA finals. That was just incredible. And I'll definitely let Albert, you know, chime in. But in the end, I was able, because of my ties with them and and how much it's really neat, by the way, Jack, because this 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 victory, and, and I covered the 2006 uh World Baseball Classic for ESPN and 2009. Um, so I've been around Team Japan winning those first two, you know, championships. But this one was really special because most of their coaches were contemporaries of mine. They were guys that I either played against uh, and rivals or played with. So their manager, first base coach, pitching coach, third base coach, uh, hitting coach, all my homies. And so when I got on that field celebrating with them and getting hugs from everybody, you know, Shohei Otani was so happy to see me. Another one that I'm really close to is you, Darvish. Um, This was a true celebration. But, uh, but I was able to bring Albert up to meet uh, Watanabe, chairman of the board of uh, Nippon Express, which is basically the Federal Express of, of Japan, actually bigger than Federal Express. It's huge. And uh, and they, they, they were there, and we went up to the suite and had a blast. But can't say enough for Team Japan. Can't say enough how well the World Baseball Classic was run. Can't say enough about Miami uh, and the Marlins and that organization being well represented, by the way. Uh, you know, shout out to to uh, that organization for for what a great job in hosting at um, at Lone Depot Ballpark uh, this this incredible event. Albert, your your take on that uh, game? Yeah, it was um it was quite a remarkable thing. I mean, when we look at the state of baseball, guys, just Major League Baseball or the sport of baseball in general. It's an interesting time. Rob Manfred and his tenure or uh, his regime is implementing changes, right? They're changing the rules of the game. They want to change the pace of the game. They're trying to do what? They're they're identifying what some of the other sports are doing, and they're saying, listen, we're losing certain demographics. We feel like the game of baseball needs to, you know, tap into a new uh, source of fans. Guys, this World Baseball Classic, I think, epitomized everything that is what makes the game of baseball great. I mean, Arrestus and I had a chance to be in – the ballpark for these games jack the atmosphere and the level of play was absolutely electric i mean the intensity that the fans and the people engage following the tournament 
it was honestly what I think Major League Baseball is yearning for, right? They wanted people who, I, you know, I personally knew people who aren't even baseball fans who were tracking this tournament and paying attention pitch by pitch, game by game. Um, it was really remarkable to see how fans showed up in droves to support their countries, how, um, you know, even the games that I had a chance to go to, you know, especially the USA versus Japan final. Um, man, what an international showcase that was for the game of baseball. Um, my uncle Rest is obviously, man, he's a very um, still beloved figure in Japanese baseball. And it's incredible to see, you know, Rest's career in Japan ended, um, you know, a couple decades ago. And it's still, you couldn't walk around that ballpark without seeing uh, a pocket of Japanese fans yelling, distrading, trying to get a picture with the, you know, <laughs> a, a rest is a signature move. Well, you call me over there, it's Ore-san, um, Ore-san, because they don't call me Ore, 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 Ore. Ore, man, it was, it was just, it was outrageous. And, um, and honestly, you really couldn't draw it up any better than, no. I mean, Shohei Otani on the mound for the save, facing Mike Trout, arguably the two best players in the sport for the last you know, half, you know, half of a decade, really, um, man, just what an absolute slam dunk victory for the sport of baseball and for major league baseball, really. Um, and it was really special to be a part of it. Yeah. We were pulling like 70 million people watching those Japanese games. Like yeah. everybody in Japan was watching, loved it. My question to you guys, before we move on to what's going on right now is, I guess a comment. My my one thing is I think as big of a success the World Baseball Classic was, I feel like we're just kind of getting started with this thing. This thing can get bigger. It will get bigger. I think the one thing that hurt it nationally in the United States was that it was running at the same time as March Madness. Because March Madness, as big of a baseball fan as I am, March Madness is like the best two or three weeks on the sports calendar for me. I watch every single March Madness game. Now, there were a couple nights in between the weekends where you had like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you could watch some of those World Baseball Classic games. But we had some really big games running opposite the NCAA tournament. Do you guys think there's any way that we could potentially have this tournament start maybe at the start of spring training before we start the regular season? No. Or... So I know uh, Buster Olney, former coworker of yours. I think he suggested having it in the middle of the season. You take a break, or at the end of the season in November. Or are we kind of locked into this? Oh, it's it's complicated, and and we're locked into it. You you can't do it too early because you'd be really jeopardizing. First of all, okay. So, what do you do with you know a World Series? two teams that go into the end of November of, of October, right? And so then they're going to have very short little turnaround. And it could be, you're, you're talking, let's say, hypothetically, a dozen of those players are going to be, you know, of, of those two rosters, if not more, possibly, you know, engaged in that. So they're, they're going to have to start throwing for real sometime in January, okay? And to speed up and get, you know, into game-ready shape in February. I, I think they run it at the exact right time. It's it's convoluted. There's no doubt. Uh, you've got March Madness. You just can't get around it. Um, but I think it could still grow and, and exponentially grow. The one thing that you have for the next two World Baseball Classics is one player. If not three baseball World Classics. Let, that's stretching it out a little bit. 
uh, for him to be at that greatness, but possibly. So, you know, wh why not, right? So you'll be, what, nine years out? They're, they're still planning to do it every three years now or every four? I can't remember now. It's just still, three. Are they back yet? Because at first they were thought they said they were going to do it every four and be, even, uh, you know, odd to the to, to the uh, the Great World uh, Cup. But now it's every three. So you have Shohei Otani available. And to some degree, Mike Trout. Obviously, Mike's a little older and he's breaking down a little bit. He's still... I mean, he's come out this season already on house on fire, right? So you have those two along with, you know, a, a smattering of others, especially the Latinos that, that love to play in this tournament, right? And we saw some great ones, the Rosarena going to Mexico, you know, you name it, all over the place. They were, they were phenomenal. Team Mexico. I mean, how great that was. So my point with that, and I definitely w welcome what Albert needs to, thinks about it, you have no other time. You can't do it at the after the season. People are spent. You're only asking for troubles for pitching arms. You know, you can't do it in November. Could you start the season, the regular season, a week late every third year? That I would consider. Now, now you're getting into the sacrilegious fan, you know, that is like, I love my, you know, most of them, you know, just you, Cincinnati fans and all you know, these, these Chicago <laughs> fans, you know, you get into some delicate situations there with some <laughs> older crowd that are going to be like, what? Don't you dare mess with baseball and by, by, by at least April 1st, you know, you've already screwed it up and, 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 and putting it earlier, right? Because some people are pissed that they're starting in March. I'm pissed that they're starting in March. I was always an April 1st, you know. You know, Cincinnati's playing that first game or the Cubs. And, I was, and I'm also pissed that they even have allocated for game sevens of the World Series. Like, it's on the schedule in November. I mean, that right. should not even be considered. You know, baseball is not a November sport. Baseball is the, you know, the, the midsummer, you know, fall, fall classic. Um, I mean, uh, the fall classic, not midsummer, excuse me. But the bottom line is that, at, by the time you get to November, you have to step back and let football do its thing, right? And March, you have that. I could see that's the only answer that I would have would be maybe let them um, seep down and start the season two weeks later. And then you I can get around, be, get around uh, March Madness. I would be on board with that because I would personal too. Personally, I've talked about this with Dave Sims privately, the Mariners play-by-play -play guy. Sure. Have you met Dave? Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah great Dave guy. Yeah, Dave and I were talking about we just don't understand if you're going to start the season as early as you do, why do the Cubs play home games like the first week? Yeah, right. Why do exactly. you know why is Seattle playing a home game? Why is Cleveland playing a home game? Especially because you're not getting a great brand of baseball to watch. People aren't hitting very well. Like we should That's be. Useless. Yeah, so if we're going to start the season as early as we do, I would try to have as many games in Miami, Tampa, Texas, yeah. have those teams open the season with a nice little home stand. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so if we're going to do, you know, push it two weeks back, the, the weather's going to be nicer. I mean, it's it's May 9th right now. It's starting to feel like summer here in Chicago. Yeah. Huge difference from where we were two weeks ago. So it makes a big difference. I think you're right. Albert? Yeah, the time of year, I mean, it's, uh, at the end of the day, guys, let's face it, they're, they're, you know, Major League Baseball kind of started the World Baseball Classic to say, like, hey, we're we're America's favorite pastime. We're an international sport. You know, there's always competition now. This isn't, you know, 
50, 60 years ago where baseball was top dog. So, you know, March Madness competes with you on the front end. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs competes with you on the front end too, right? We're, we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs. We still have Major League Baseball games going on um, towards the, you know, the playoff push of September and October, we, we run into the NFL starting. So you're always going to have competition from other sports. But I think that based on the health of the players, you still want the best players to compete. Unfortunately, I think the one critique people had about Team USA is they didn't have a lot of the feature arms, right? A lot of the best yeah. pitchers didn't participate for Team USA for a variety of, you know, cautionary reasons, right? Clayton Kershaw really wanted to pitch. Um, you know, the, the, the story there was apparently his insurers uh, weren't really on the same page about letting him play. So the only, the way that the the tournament is most successful, Jack, in my opinion, is you need the feature players and you have to create a schedule that accommodates those players. And what are they more comfortable kind of leveraging? Probably parts of spring training or even the early parts of the regular season. Um, you know, the, really, the season isn't really dictated in, in April and, and March in Major League Baseball. You know, the old adage is you can't win the division in April. I mean, you might be able to lose it, but you can't win it in April, right? So... Um, I think I think the way it's positioned now is, is correct, and I think that's just kind of you know competition is part of what it is in major sports. The Tampa Bay Rays are trying to change that trend right now, though. <laughs> you get them <laughs> winning the season in April and early May. Holy <laughs> if we could segue into some regular season. Yeah, stuff I mean, we almost have to because, and as much as there's so many stories and great topics in the game of baseball right now, uh, it's it's almost. No, no doubt historic, but it's almost like unbelievable. I've been around baseball for, for 40 years, um, literally. I signed when I was nine, you know, 19 years old, and holy jeez. I mean, this is <laughs> I, I, I don't even get it. I mean, um, I will say this, and it was Albert who mentioned this to me. It was you who mentioned me last week about the, the spring training thing, right? Your thought on uh, was was it you? Your thought on spring training as to why the Rays are off to the good? No, story? no, no. I, I hadn't heard this. Wasn't you? Okay. Who was it? I was talking to. Holy cow! Now I and, and I want to give the right props to it, but I'll think of it because I was having a conversation. And I could have sworn it was with you. So here's the thought on this: the Rays, because of Hurricane Ian, had spring training where. At the TROP. At the TROP. I can't think of another team that had spring mm -hmm. training in their home ballpark and not just the, the, the half of the 30-some-odd games that you play. Okay, that's massive, right? But all the training, all the preparation, you're, you're at home, you're at home, you're at home, and then you start the season. There's no transitional period for, the, wow. for, for said team. It's... It's it, talk about their start being historic. That's historic, and I, I haven't really heard be, you know people talk about it. And it just kind of went under the you know where else were they going to train? In fact, there were talks about them going to um, to uh, uh, the Braves complex. You know the the Wild World Sports over there when Braves obviously have now been over in Northport for the last couple of years since they built that beautiful scenario um, situation. But they didn't. They they were at home. And they played a couple of games in Orlando, I believe, but in spring training, you know, and they took their home games over there. But the by in fact, I, I think maybe only one, if I'm not mistaken. That is a major plus, and that brought their team together. 
On top of that, this is a very well, I mean, I'm not going to negate from how, having been inside of that organization, how well run this is, how well uh, their their structure, I think of only about four teams in the last 15 years or so, 20 years, and then one team even beyond that, that's the Atlanta Braves. Two teams, the Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, the San Francisco Giants, the um, Tampa Bay Rays, in the last 10 to 15 years and beyond, have just figured out how to player develop, sign the right coaches. I, you know, I don't think people realize how important it is to have the right coaching staff up and down your system that is just, that's professing the same mantra, right? And and then that leads up to the major leagues and then player development, scouting, um, statistics, obviously now with the advent of, of uh, sabermetrics, and then um, how you're drafting properly, and then trades. I'll never forget, again, being on the inside with the Rays, how many GMs, the, the moment they hear that the Rays are interested in a particular player, they 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 started wanting to pull them off the off the block of wanting to trade because it'll be some double A dude that's hitting two sixty three, or you know has a four one ERA, and they're like, oh, we're interested in in you know Julio Sanchez, you know Tom Jones over there in <laughs> in uh. Uh, you know, in Iowa or wherever, they're like this guy because they turn into some superstar. Uh, and 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 lastly, I'll add where they don't spend the money, which is still the discrepancy is massive. Where they don't spend the, spend the millions, they do spend it in in international drafting and paying some of the top dollars. So that's how the you know these teams kind of make ends. And and, and by the way, they just they've done a great job. But it's interesting. I do want your take on what you guys think about having that advantage of being home for spring training. Yeah, I think we forget a lot of times that that Major League Baseball players, obviously wrestlers, you had a chance to play at that level. You're human beings, right? And there's right. there's a comfort and there is a, um, you know, a familiarity with being a certain place. I heard an interesting story a couple of seasons ago um, of people talking about why the Seattle Mariners had such difficulty landing free agent players. And you just don't think about it because you just, you know, to them, to us, it's Major League Baseball. They're on TV every night. But you don't realize it's not fun to fly from Seattle, Washington right. to go play a game in Always. Tampa. And every one of those Pretty flights. Much everywhere they go. <laughs> they yeah, have to you, go far. Right. Kicks well, and I, I, I'm going to interject real quick, Albert. I also want to mention, because you bring that up, I think the teams on the West Coast are at a big disadvantage now with this new balance schedule. Because yes. now they have to make way more trips to the East I Coast. I agree. There are 14 teams east of the Mississippi and only seven west of Colorado. So you have double the amount of teams on the East Coast than there are on the West Coast. Right. Those West Coast teams, especially Seattle, I mean, that's going to play a factor in this too. Yeah, yeah, it's, it beats you down. Um, you know, they they talk about – and now, you know, everything in baseball, the beauty of baseball is every year we get more – we count things more. Baseball's always been a sport of counting things. Um, one of the interesting things I heard about the shift going away was how many – they calculated how many steps. So Austin Riley, third baseman for the Braves, obviously. Um, Ron Washington talked about counting how many steps he's going to save just from not having to move <laughs> over from the shift. <laughs> not, not playing in shallow right field and then having to run over the third baseman back. 
it's like they, he cut out like 15 miles of pure running just over the course of the season. So think about it. Wear and tear. Yeah, it, that, if the wear and tear, they're talking about him moving around the field. Imagine the travel. Imagine, you know, moving around, stuff like that. So I think that's that's a really underrated point, oh, about how just having that familiarity, especially like a team like the Rays, which is like, you know, I think that clubhouse has this whole like, we know we're the Rays. We know we're not the Yankees. We're not glamorous. And they build like this continuity factor that I think is different than other organizations. Um, and it's been kind of uh, a part of their success. But, you know, the Rays have spent a little bit of money, like oh said. They spend money on international draft, uh, international signing pool. Wanda Franco was the number one player in baseball, number one prospect in baseball. And they right. spent money on him, locking him up early to a – you know, a pretty long-term deal. They they actually broke their free agent record this offseason, signing Zach Eflin to the biggest um, free agent deal that they. I mean, had. But we're not we're not talking about massive deals. That's that's, that's also in comparative of Major League Baseball. Right, right, right. It, it, was, it was what a, a fifty-something million dollar deal or something for forty. Yeah. 40 something it's not dramatic okay it's not it's not it's not and let's not get carried away with Fred, with franco's uh to um i believe it ends up being if, if in totality i think it was 190 something but it could be up 218 um or 200 and something slow two two nine i mean give or take millions right but remember the first four years of that contract equates to 18 million dollars the first four years $18 million. So it's a very calculated contract right. where you're playing with a guy that right now, you know, we already knew, even though he's already, you know, he's gotten into an all-star season. And if he doesn't get hurt, you you, you could see this kid in A-ball and double-A and triple. It was ridiculous, right? So you they knew what they were going to be getting for. So paying him three, two, three, five, six. For the next three or four years, that equals eighteen million. It's nothing, right? They would do it all day long. Heck, yeah, it's, a, it's a form of what they did with Evan Longoria, right? When the big dollars to hit, some degree, uh, yeah. but even greater because of you know the back end is so massive. But why is the back end so massive? They're playing the game of they didn't have this with Evan Longoria. They're playing the reason they could add another hundred million dollars because Evan's contract was a hundred and something was because there is a carrot at the end of the of, of the of the deal and that is a, a a stadium so that four-year period runs you closer to the 2027 and the caca or get off the pot basically hey i stayed clean um <laughs> uh <laughs> unless you're bilingual then you're saying I'm <laughs> uh, which <laughs> i always laugh at that on on american shows when when people say things like well, you have the cojones, you know, cojones. Like, it's a bad word in Spanish. You know, they'll say certain words in Spanish like it's not a bad word. It's a bad word. But most Americans don't know it. So they they had the smarts to think, okay, that gives us four years and $18 million to keep one of the top ball players, you know, a, a, a Acuna-esque type of ball player um, for a lot less money. And and then we can sign that big deal with, with, with the, with you know, with the stadium. And now our value rises of the team. We're going to have all this extra money from revenues from a new stadium. Because I don't care, you know, where they put it. The first couple of years are going to be honeymoon period. And then quite possibly, in my estimate, they'll do similar to a Loria and possibly sell the team. Because it's at an optimal scenario. 
So trust me, it's a very you you could the best comparison is not Longoria. The best comparison to that contract is Giancarlo Stanton. When Loria signed him to a three hundred and twenty-five million, I remember when seeing that for the first time, and it came up on my phone or whatever it was that I saw it. Three what the Marlins, and then you really dissect the contract and you realize that it was like five million, six million. 7 million, then 32 million, you know, <laughs> you know, and he was long gone by that time, wasn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think going back to that point, I definitely think that playing in their own building for an extra month, huge. huge. My question is why not do it every year? Well, it's not fair. So you can't, so what other teams can do that? You can't, I, it, it's, it's an un, Technically, it's an unfair advantage, but it's a fair thing to have happened. Does that make sense? So it needed to have happened. They needed to go to play. Her, Ian put them in that situation. It's a it's a it's a natural disaster. You can't you can't say, "Oh my gosh, how come?" No, they have to play. They have to camp. It's kind of like the uh, the Blue Jays, you know, you know, when they weren't allowed yes. to play in their stadium because of COVID. It's like they got to play in this really home run, you know, offensive friendly place. <laughs> yeah, but it was still their unfair their team, for right? them. Because it actually right. it was really unfair because they didn't have the same fan support. There was right. still a stadium that they don't know. Yeah, Buffalo was great because it jumped out. I played there. You know, I hit twelve home runs and you know in two months there, and 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 uh, so I, I I know it. And um, but the bottom line is that this is totally different. It's almost like you know who who wouldn't want to you know train at home. In fact, I don't even think there's a. Let's go into all sports, major sports. I think in hockey, though. Well, I don't know. Yeah, hockey. This hockey. What, what, do, they, what do they do with hockey spring training? They or, work yeah. out at their own facilities. I think. I mean, they Black because Hawks, it's all indoors, and the yeah, weather doesn't matter. Yeah, the Blackhawks have their their training camp in there and at the United Center. I'm pretty certain. Right. I mean, if you're if you're able to, that would make sense. So if you have a dome stadium, you would. But then you can't play everybody else. So it, it was a it was. No pun intended. It was a perfect storm. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my question to you guys Somebody was... needs to write a book about... If they go on and break the 116-game record, somebody <laughs> needs to write a book called The Perfect Storm. All right? So, Jack, I'm putting it on you. If they, if they break the, if they break the what, is it right. 116, the, the most wins in a season? You'll get me access to all these people. The interview, I will get right? you uh, access to all the people. Right. The manners, really, it's the the the, the 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 scene of the set of the of the scene of the of the book and a movie would be way before during Hurricane Ian and the storms hitting, unfortunately, and ravishing that 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 coast, which was really really sad when you think about it. You know what happened in Fort Myers yeah. and it's Naples. Scary time too for scary people. Scary time. It was really sad, and, and lives were lost and homes. And and but then you fast forward. Port Charlotte was 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 not available. So it's it's a it's something to think about when you then you go on and then I'm going to lead us to some other you know moving away from the race, but still in baseball. I just so they were I I think more better prepared. Fantastic. They are a fantastic, you know, exciting team. But where the heck are all these home runs coming from? And obviously the Rays are at 70-something home runs, but just in Major League Baseball. 
everybody's just flicking. And I was a home run hitter, man. And and I know that there's this ebbs and flows of you have the late the 80s and the late 80s and early 90s were kind of back to, you know, they were dead ball area. I, I played in it. You know what I mean? I hit 20 home runs one year and led the Marlins with that. Freddie McGriff led the league with 36 that year. That's it. You know, guys, somebody's going to have 36 at the All-Star break. And, and I'm not joking. So, and then you go into the steroid era, right, when it rose. And then it went down a little bit again. And then I think that they tightened the balls somewhat. And think about it. Because of the move, and I want your guys' take on this. I think it's cyclical, but it's also thought pattern, okay? So why not tighten the balls a little bit when you're going to be having such a paradigm shift in the beloved game of baseball with reference to um, some, you know, rule changes that are dramatic, right? They let seep in all these weird shifting and, and all these other things. So then they've ruled that back, and now you've got the clock, which is incredible, right? And and to think of that they were even going to do that, even though they, they practiced in the minor leagues and it worked. You have the pickoff situation. You have the shift. So all of a sudden, in order to kind of like, it, it, you know, take the eyes away from that in baseball, you tighten it a little bit and you got more home runs. People are like, oh, my God, my team, my team hit seven home runs today. And it, it takes them away from this new advent that is a little bit kooky, though I believe it's working, right? But it is a little bit. The purists are like, what's going on with this time clock and stuff? Your thoughts on that? Because it, you almost have to kind of, you know, make people think about some other things. And what better things to think about than home runs? Yeah, I'll take that first. I think that that's a really interesting thought that I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought much about it yet, but it makes sense because it's like, what's up with Cody Bellinger hitting all these home runs again? What's up with, especially at Wrigley with the winds blowing in, it's cold outside. I did not think he'd be hitting as many. He probably has like six or seven home runs already this year. Muncy's crushing. I mean, there's guys that have power. There's no doubt, but we're talking Albert. I mean, there's some home runs being hit, buddy. Yeah, I think offensively, man. Um, I think what I think what Major League Baseball looked at and said, "Listen, what? How? How can we generate more casual fans into the game?" And I think offense sells, right? People don't um, baseball peers. We might like pitching. We might like pitching balls, <laughs> but offense sells. You know, there's been, and I think they kind of overdid it with the you know the ball being really juiced in 2019. I think that yeah. was like really the epitome of like the juice ball era, kind of. And then they kind of scaled it back. And they've kind of oscillated back and forth, right? They they want more offense, and then they're like, wait, we're going too far with it. And then they're like, okay, the pitchers are too good. we got to crack down on sticky stuff. And, right, and right. You know, they, they're, they're trying to, like, kind of have their cake and eat it too. I think this year, honestly, man, the game's been more enjoyable yeah. uh, for me to watch on a couple things. I don't like um, some of the rule changes that are extreme. I don't like the batter getting ready by eight-second rule. I think it's kind of a – I think it's uh, dramatic. They need to relook at that. I think it's a little yeah. much. It's 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 misapplied. I like the, the, I like the time clock, but but I think they need to play with that. Yeah, elements and, of the pitch and, clock I, I think are effective. Um, I don't like the pickoff rule, but I got to tell you, the game is more watchable. I like the pickoff rule. You do like the pickoff mm, rule only because you needed to. It's almost like you know when we played, and 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 the coach is like, "I'm going to force you guys to run." You know, I'm going to give you the hit and run. You know, there was some coaches that I had in college, and also and even in the minor leagues where 
in order to get out of a slump or in order to get out of something, he would put the hit and run on, you know. <laughs> I, I had a coach one time put a hit and run on me with nobody on base. So he was telling me, I need you to be more aggressive at the plate. Yeah, just swear. So I was looking at the signs. There was nothing going on. And I looked and I looked again. He goes, yeah. And he nodded. He goes, yeah. <laughs> I want you to swing at this pitch. Wow. Okay. And I want you to swing with a hit and run aspect. Meaning I want you to get it hard down up the middle or opposite. Okay. You know what I mean? And I tell you what, it got me ignited again. So I like the running. We had just gotten oh, the stealing. You know, the fact that stealing oh, bases. Oh, you're forcing them to run. Up. Yeah, yeah. Stealing bases is great. I mean, that's I, the I only reason that, that they're stealing, really, because I mean, if you think about it, you, well, the bases are bigger, right? So the, the slightly bigger base is added. Uh, I think steal steal attempts are up thirty three percent, which I think is great. Um, interestingly enough, their only success is only up about four to five percent, which I thought would be a little bit higher. But I, I think it's a more enjoyable form of baseball, Owen Jack. I think that I agree. You know. Uh, when guys are, you know, now there's runners on base, it feels like they're going to go. There's more incentive. Also, it's like a just as a general viewer, I watch a lot of baseball on television. I got to tell you, one of the worst things of the last five years was you'd be watching a game and a guy would just hit a laser up the middle. And you don't know, as a baseball fan, is there just a dude randomly standing there, right? <laughs> like, you don't know where the defense is. But now the viewability of a game on television is back where you're like, you see a ball hit off the bat and you're like, that's going to be a hit, which is what, right. you know, I remember showing like an ex-girlfriend of mine who didn't know, who didn't know baseball, like baseball games. And they're like, a guy would just foul a pitch off. And she's like, where'd you go? And I'm like, oh, that's a foul ball. Like we can watch a game and know that like, that's a foul ball. That's a hit. Oh, that ball's going to home run. That's a pop right. up, right? Like as a viewer, you should be able to see a ball off the bat and understand what's about to happen or should happen. Right. And I thought it was anticlimactic when a guy's a runner on second, a guy hits a line drive that should be a hit. And there's just a dude standing in like, right there. Right on top of the bag. like why is he there? That doesn't make any sense. So I, I think limiting the shift makes it more enjoyable to watch on television again from that standpoint. Great point. I agree. I think the pitch clock, one one of the big reviews that I got from people when I was out at spring training, I'm texting my friends who are watching the games on TV. And personally, I think it makes for a better pace. But one of the things that my friends were saying was, you can't pull your phone out during an at-bat. Like you, unless you want to take a video of it, you're not, you don't have that time in between pitches to just, Oh, you know, I'm going to see what's going on over here on social media. You have to be dialed in to watch it. And this is how baseball was played up until sometime in the nineties or two thousands where things really slowed down. If you watch a game from the eighties back when little Albert was growing up, I mean, that was uh it's a pitch you know, there was a nice rhythm. You could you could get you could understand when the ball was going to come and when it was going to get thrown back to the pitcher, and it was this nice sequence. And we lost that sometime over the past thirty years, and now we're back to it. Hundred percent. But I, I think the only the only man uh, like tinker I would do with it is I feel like so, I, and I, I learned this recently. I don't know if you guys know this. So you know, a lot of the violations that the umpires are calling. They're not calling it. They have a physical buzzer on them that tells them, hey, you have to enforce this rule. And I think that that is actually counterproductive. I think we need like, oh, when you played baseball, when I played baseball, who told you it was time to play ball? The umpire. All right, right. play ball. Let's go. Right. Yeah. I think the umpire needs a little bit. And listen, I'm. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this because I've been a proponent of the automated strike zone. I've always thought that, you know, I think we could use technology to help out things. I've tried to reduce the human element. But I think when it comes to the timeliness and the clock in the game, 
the umpire needs more autonomy. You know, I think the umpire needs to be able to, you know, we had a, I was, I was at a game the other day and Sean Murphy, catcher for the Braves, just takes a foul tip right off of his, you know, just gets smoked. He's a catcher. Guess what happened? The umpire comes out. He's, he cleans the plate a little bit. That's a part of the game. They can't just be like, oh, the pitch clock's on. Sorry that the catcher's yeah, on yeah, the ground. Yeah, you make a good point. Right. You need you need to be able to have the the umpire have a little bit of discretion of when does it start. You know, Cody Bellinger. You know, you're in Chicago, Jack. You know, he uh, he went to he went his first game back to face the Dodgers, and he got a standing ovation from the crowd. Guess what happened? They called a strike against him on his first. No, pitch they because, didn't. They did. Yeah, yeah it because happened. he was he was acknowledging the crowd, and he didn't get into and the, the box. clock had already started. Right, so the hitter has to be at a quote ready position with eight seconds remaining in the clock. That's to me is the worst rule of all of them, um, because what is a ready position? If he's not ready and the guy and the pitcher's on the mound, just throw the ball. But, um, but yeah, like that kind of thing to me, the umpire because that's from the booth. The booth starts that you know clock, so to say. Um, so I need the I think the umpire needs to be able to be like okay, play ball, like give give yeah, discretion that'll, 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 that'll for those in between things. You know, the, yeah, the, the, and there's the, also something else there. With the when you have a timeout, essentially, I believe both the pitcher and the hitter kind of have to consent to be like, okay, we're playing on now. Is that was an incident the first week of the season with Logan Webb and Tim Anderson, where Tim Anderson wasn't ready. Logan Webb delivered the pitch anyway, and then uh, Anderson ended up getting out as a, he didn't swing the bat. He, you know, it's and so Anderson ended up getting ejected because he was unhappy with the ump. So there's little. Things there that definitely need some tweaking. I agree. Cool, cool. We're getting better. Though. All right, so what's what was that, Albert? Sorry, we're getting better. We're working on it. So I am. Yeah. Well, All right, well, one last thing I'll add about that. Remember, it, it's been it's been um, put in effect in the minor leagues. You know, as a as a as a test dummy, so to speak. And and a lot of these nuances in the minor leagues, like you wouldn't have a, have a Cody Bellinger coming up in the minor leagues, going back to his old team, you yeah. know. So these are nuances that you yeah. know need to be worked out a little bit, and they'll make, take a note of it and go okay, and and they'll tweak that rule, you know, accordingly. But you're right, the, you know, there needs to be a little more autonomy for the umpires. But what else you got for us, Jack? All right, I want to talk some American League West, starting with the Houston Astros here. The Astros have a losing record. Mm. They are, let's see, they're 17 and 18. This is their worst start to a full season since 2016, which is the last year that they did not make the postseason before they started this big run. That's excluding the COVID year where they had a losing record in 2020. They had two pitchers go down over the past week. Mm. Jose Urquidy. Luis Garcia, back-to-back days. Arkady is probably going to be out for a while. Garcia needs Tommy John. Brandon Bielek, he gets brought up from the minors. He's been a guy who's bounced back and forth a little bit. JP France. Yeah, he's been something. Friend of the show. The first ever Major League player to make their debut on the Jack Vita show before making their Major League (laughs) premiere. There you go. So, JP, good friend of the show. This was my favorite story of the week. Obviously, I'm biased. But Saturday night, he finally got brought up. He made his first start. It was out in Seattle. 28-year-old rookie, five years in college baseball at Tulane, transferred to Mississippi State for his final year, uh, grad transfer. And then five years in the minors, 14th round pick 
99 minor league starts. Right. This is a minor league lifer finally getting his chance. Saturday night, five innings pitched, no runs, three hits, one walk, five strikeouts. Looks like someone who's going to get a nice opportunity here. Unfortunately, it comes at the expense of these guys getting hurt. That's the brutal nature of this business. You never want to see anyone get hurt. You will never want to see anyone um, have to undergo Tommy John or have these serious injuries. He's going to get his chance, though, here, it looks like. So I'm happy for JP. At the same time, the Astros, though, there's some question marks with this team. What's your read on the Astros, Albert? Yeah, I think it's interesting, man. I think that they're a team that <clears throat> made some interesting decisions. Obviously, they let Justin Verlander walk during free agency. Um, and if you look at their usage, Jack, it's a team that uses their starting pitching a little differently than other teams in Major League Baseball. Dusty Baker's old school, man. He lets guys go out there for the sixth, the seventh, the eighth in an era where guys are really, you know, manage, especially that, you know, oh, knows in Tampa, what's, you know, they don't really let guys go through a third time through the lineup. Um, Dusty's a little bit old school, and losing Garcia and Urquidy certainly is going to hurt their depth. Um, they're going to need a lot more from guys like Framber Valdez, who have pitched deep into September and October the last couple of years, guys like Christian Javier, um, Hunter Brown, who pitched yesterday against the Anaheim Angels. Um, guys has absolutely electric stuff. Hunter Brown actually yesterday allowed his first career home run in 53 innings pitched. Um, the guys has the makings has the makings to be really a frontline starter, just needs to develop a little bit more consistency. Um, I think the Houston Astros are going to be okay. Um, Jose Abreu has been a little bit of a disappointment in the middle of the order. Um, there's a lot of talk about Michael Brantley coming back this week. He's he's a he's a bat that really, um, you know, really stabilizes that offense. Um, you know, uh, Mauricio Dubon has stepped in, in in place of Jose Altuve this season. But Altuve should be back. Um, I wouldn't be press, pressing panic if I'm the Astros. Um, this is a team that I still think has a really solid foundation. Foundation. Um, JP France is a guy that. You know, really, a lot of people inside of baseball are happy he's getting opportunity. Um, overall, known as a generally good guy and glad, you know, obviously friend of the program. Um, but I, I think the Houston Astros are going to be okay in a division that I don't think is that um, imposing. You know, I still think the Mariners are a couple pieces away. Um, the Rangers aren't a team that I'm really in incredibly, you know, high on myself. Obviously, the everyone knows what's going on with Oakland. Um, so I think the Astros are going to be okay. And I think here's another, here's a big one, guys, that really, um, you know, we haven't really discussed today, but there's some sellers developing in, in, in Major League Baseball. We talked about you can't win a division in April, but you might be able to lose one. Teams like the Chicago White Sox might be, might be lining up to be a potential trade partner with the Astros. You know, the White Sox have uh, Lucas Giolito. You know, they have Dylan Cease. They have Lance Lynn. They have some experienced starters in a place that just isn't working. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the brain trust in Houston said, all right, what's it going to take for me to go get Lucas Giolito from the White Sox or go, right. go get, you know, Dylan Cease, who's kind of underperformed this year. And Dylan Cease is, seems like a guy who just lines up perfectly with Houston, right? He's a strikeout guy, high spin rate guy um, who had some success before. I can see him being like kind of what they did with Garrett Cole. People don't remember Garrett Cole wasn't really – Garrett Cole that we know now virus, right. until he arrived in Houston, right? He yeah. was he showed some flashes of of uh, you know dominance in Pittsburgh. Was the number one overall pick out of UCLA, but you know once he got to Houston, that's when he really took off and became this like next stratosphere type pitcher. I can see a guy like Dylan Cease with like that you know unbelievable plus plus stuff going to Houston. He's a logical fit for them, and he's a guy that I think could provide some stability and uh, give him a big boost for a team that should be in the hunt again for a deep October run.
Well, I would say I think Dylan Cease is already there. I think Dylan Cease, he finished second or third in Cy Young voting last year. Like, this is one yeah, of the best pitchers in the sport. Maybe he takes that step and wins the Cy Young. Uh, as for the White Sox, and we can touch on them, I'll just say, though, I live in Chicago. I would be shocked. No, not shocked. I would be surprised if they actually did sell. It seems Why? very. This, this has been a debacle. I know. But when have the White Sox made these kind of decisions? When have the White Sox. They did. Yeah, but it. they've been making some dramatic decisions, at least with their hirings of their managers and firing of their managers. And, you know, they've just been trying so hard. Um, and they, you seemingly have the roster over the last three or four years. Oh, my goodness. I mean, well, they have a collection of talent that's yeah, really They should. I totally agree with you guys. They should. I'm so, just saying so that they dramatic have to figure out an order. They have to figure out the front office. I mean, because I give you the, I, I Rick Hahn has been there for about 10 years now, and he got to do the rebuild five years ago when they traded Sale and they traded Adam Eaton, and they did that. Um, is he going to get a chance to do that again? That's the question. Is, is Rick Hahn your GM? Is your VP, Kenny Williams, is he going to still be around? Or is Jerry Reinsdorf, who's known as just being a loyal guy, if you work for Reinsdorf, sure. you sort of have a job for life. He'll find a way, even if you have to lose the position you're in, he'll find another position for you. Is Reinsdorf actually going to make those decisions? Because I think that's where it all starts from. Are, are you going to allow Rick Hahn to take this team through another rebuild? Are you going to pull the plug on Rick Hahn? And I just think there's so much uncertainty in that front office right now. I don't. I don't. I. W I don't know if they're actually going to move forward and make those trades at the deadline and and be a seller because who's going to be running this team? And some believe that Reinsdorf is going to sell the team within the next five years or so. So I could see Jerry being that loyal guy who's like, I'm going to keep these guys around and then I'm going to sell the team and then someone else can come in and they'll bring everybody on board. So it's Possibly. just such. It's such an unstable situation. Anything they do. Well, but I mean, we're not talking about a complete, you know, uh, unloading of the ship. I, I mean, but guys like a like a like a Cease who is underperforming a little bit right now. But I mean, we know he's he's dramatically good. I mean, he's put his name there in the American League as one of the top, you know, handful of pitchers. Uh, that could be, you know, Houston. That could be an advantageous thing because Houston's got so much young talent too. I mean, think about this kid, Dubon, you know? Think about, you know, uh, a bunch of other year guys, you know. Kyle, Kyle Tucker's Tucker. a brilliant superstar. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Tucker is a quiet star. By David the way, Hensley is another guy who could. Kyle develop. Tucker from uh, Plant High School, where my daughter now goes, uh, right down the street from where I'm at right here. Um, you know, he's, uh, I don't know if they were teammates, but they're from the same high school. And Albert probably would know better than I, because you guys know all this, you know, kooky stats, but. <laughs> Kyle is how old compared to to um, New York Met uh, Alonzo because they both came wow. out of the same they came out of the same high school. Um, probably both twenty six around they, that they, age. And then they, they probably played together. And then they would have played together at, at Plant High. Tucker was a high school draft pick, and uh, Alonzo went to Florida, so he might be maybe a couple years ahead of him. But yeah, he might have been a couple years. I uh, think I think he's a couple years older, so they might have missed each other there, or, or kind of you know he might have been a varsity. Uh, as a sophomore, when 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 uh, Alonzo was a senior, somewhere thereabouts, but both super talents. Yeah. And uh, just getting real back to to Houston. Yeah. As as 
it, it's a microcosm of where they're at, but I can't at all be too concerned. Jose Abreu, who's in 225, with not only only 14 home uh, RBIs in 35 games and 138 plate appearances, but zero home runs. Zero. And I, I, you know, that is not going to continue, nor is the bad play or, you know, the under 500 play of the Houston Astros. I, I just don't see it. Yes, there is a real concern of their pitching, but they, they're one of the, you know, the stronger, you know, minor league systems along with a couple, you know, the aforementioned teams that I mentioned, a Baltimore's minor league system is dramatic. There's a handful of others, but I will say this, what the heck is going on in major league baseball right now? When like the top teams, you know, as much as MLB, we were talking about, yeah, I want to, they want to promote, you know, all the excitement and stuff. Where is St. Louis? You know, the, 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 the pretty team of baseball, kind of you know, Midwest beloved team. Where is, you know, Houston? Where are the Yankees? Where are, you know, a handful of these like legendary teams when the top teams in baseball right now are the Rays, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Baltimore Orioles? It's the a little Braves. Tricky, isn't it? Braves. Well, yeah, the Braves. The Braves are, are yeah, thank goodness for Albert Albert's Braves. Thank goodness. <laughs> they're, they're the ones that bring the the you know everything back into play a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, you this. Jack. The Braves, what the hell is going on? Here's here's my take on that. And and uh again, I, I'm I'm always fascinated by the art of team building. Tampa Bay's put a master class on, probably the only team that I I can't even track what they're well, the doing. Dodgers, by the way. I didn't mean to yeah, throw that. Dodgers, the Dodgers have rebounded, yeah. and at least they're, yeah. you know, yeah. a top of a, a hodgepodge, you know, NLS. But let's think about these teams that you just mentioned, Arrestus. Let's think about these teams. What do these teams all do, right? The Braves, before they started their Division One, they absolutely bottomed out. They sold everybody. They went to – they were in last place. They were terrible. Baltimore Orioles absolutely bottomed out, and I agree with you, Arrestus. I think they have arguably the best, uh, you know – Farm system in major yes. baseball. Dramatic. Um, a lot of these teams, Pittsburgh Pirates, absolutely recycled. The most dangerous place to be in Major League Baseball is in the middle. And that's the problem with the White Sox, right? When you're not fully going for it and competing and you're not fully all out, you know, the Astros famously did it, right? Where they just got rid of everybody, sold everybody, they did. and then they just compiled draft picks and, you know, brought in Carlos Correa, got in Jose Altuve, um, made move after move after move. Um, that's where why I think the White Sox should be concerned because they're a team that's in the middle. They have a competitive team. They're not. They're not. You know. They're not just. You know. They have a bunch of big names. They have a bunch of really good players, but it's just not working. That combination isn't working. So, to me, that's the most fearful place to be. Is like you never mm. want to be in the middle. And you know, even some of these teams, the Cardinals. Man, I thought the Cardinals would be a lot better. What is going on? But it looks like they might be in the middle, and being in the middle is bad. You don't want to be in the. You only you only want to be really, really good or really, really bad. You like want the to middle child. Not <laughs> <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> yeah, those middle teams end up always kind of. You it's know, you're, just, you're, you're stuck what in a neutral. strong point. Cleveland yeah. has kind of been in that. You They're know, kind of in the middle. The middle of twins. I don't, I, too. I don't know about Cleveland. I like Cleveland. Cleveland. I like Cleveland too, but. The Brewers, the no, Brewers Cleveland kind of the had the youngest roster. They did, yeah, yeah, youngest roster in the league last year. 
had one of the best records in the second half. They're off to yeah, a they were, start. They were impressive in the second half. Last. They I have, a, they have a lot of really good young players. They haven't hit yet. I think they'll hit better as it warms up. I'm not too concerned about Cleveland and their division. I think Jack, they are trying Jack, to look, win. Look at Cleveland. If you like them, can, then take this. You know, Ken Williams and, 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 and Rick Hahn in, in Chicago can learn from this. What did Cleveland do with Francisco Lindor? They traded him, right? Exactly, and they, they, Yes. And they were they were in the middle of their competitive window. They decided to trade Lindor. Decided to let Corey Kluber. Bauer. They traded, Kluber. They traded Bauer. They traded Bauer. They traded Kluber. Clevenger. Their other uh, no. They they kept they, Clevenger. They traded yeah, Kluber. They traded, they traded Clevenger. Right. They traded Bauer. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And then they they picked some certain people to keep. You know, they kept Jose Ramirez. They brought in some pieces. And they were able to stay kind of competitive in the middle. And I think that the White Sox could probably take a page out of that book and say, all right, let's, let's, let's core up a few of these guys. Let's, you know, sell off a, a few others. At least let's a couple build. here and there to try yeah, to build your farm system a little more. And, and, and exactly. just, Especially just, in that division, the AL Central isn't exactly – you're not. this isn't the American right. League East. This That's isn't the, the only East. thing right. that keeps you That's, thinking, don't give up. When you're like – you're talking about that middle point of the NL – uh, you know, NL Central and AL Central, which is, you know, for, you know, coincidentally in the middle of the East and the West. It's like if you just have a hot second half, look at Cleveland. I, I thought nothing of them the first half of last year. And and they snuck in and they got in there and then they beat the Rays, in, 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 you know, in a dramatic game there that went 900 innings. But, I mean, you know, let's not forget Cleveland won 92 games last year. Like, I, know, I, wouldn't put, I would not put Cleveland yeah. in the middle. No, I, I, I mean, as far as like a team that I, I don't expect them to ever go far in the playoffs. Um, I just I just don't. I, you know, um, they're like the, you know, they're like the Sacramento Kings. They're a very good team. But I'm not. I'm not putting them getting far in the playoffs. And 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 this was a great example. And I, without getting into the NBA, but you know when you really watch the the dichotomy of true pressure playoff, because the uniqueness of baseball is when you get into the playoffs, that's when you really truly you, the the neat thing about baseball is that you can follow the ebb and flow of a season better than any other sport, because it's so many games. I call it a soap opera. It really is. You know, there's so many, dun, 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 you know, this week this happened. You know, and forever, for the 12 years I was with the Rays, I would jokingly call it, these are the Rays of our lives. So <laughs> it was like, and I would say that on the air, and people were like, they loved it. It was like the Rays of our lives, because how many times did we go like this? This team's a little different this year. They're off to a dramatic start. But I hear what Albert is saying about that middle of the pack thing. You, you, you know, St. Louis, I mean, touching, let's talk a little bit about St. Yeah. Louis. What is going on with that? So St. Louis just made, this is the kind of big news of the week, is Wilson Contreras will not be catching for them for the foreseeable future. You just brought him in. They gave him a five-year deal, and I'm honestly... He can I hit, was, but I mean, you. I, I thought he could catch too. <laughs> no, he can't catch. I shouldn't say he can't catch, but... Oh, you've been spoiled. Those in the Midwest, you've been spoiled with one, you know, goat of a catcher (laughs) and Yadier Molina. Yeah. They that, I mean, I watched this kid with the Cubs. I I don't know about he can't catch. There's just some problems going on of him adjusting to the new pitching staff and and all that. Well, last year, there was a lot of stuff last year about 
teams that were interested in trading for him. The the Astros were close to making a deal, and then they want were interested in signing him as a free agent, and they were going to play him in the outfield. They weren't going to really? catch him. No, he can hit. That's for damn sure. He can hit, but that tells you a lot. I mean, yeah. that's one of the smartest teams evaluation wise. No one traded for him when there were a lot of teams that needed catching. He didn't have a very, from my understanding, he didn't have a super vibrant market this past winter. I mean, there were teams that wanted him as a DH, wanted him to play outfield. So I was very surprised that the Cardinals, going from the gold standard of defensive yeah. catchers, go to a guy who, there are some question marks here. And like like I said, I wouldn't say that he can't catch. He well, has the tools. A Midwest appeal there. You know, it felt like a spite move to me. It felt yeah, similar to the yeah. Fowler signing, where it's like right, we're going to pull right. this guy from the Cubs. He yeah. clearly wanted to go there. He wanted to go there more than anywhere. He wanted to play the Cubs. Last night, he was really taunting the fans, and he he's going to enjoy being this villain playing against the Cubs for the next five years. Mm. But this is a guy who there have been concerns about his pitch framing, his ability to call a game, and his limitations when it comes to working with pitchers. So I've got some statistics here. Last season, the Chicago Cubs, It's now granted it's early, okay? Last year, the Cubs were 20th in ERA with a 4 0 ERA. What did they do over the winter to make their pitching staff better? They added Jamison Tyone, yeah, and he hasn't uh, even yeah. pitched. That's it. It's not like they've had some dramatic right. shakeup. They went from having Contreras as their primary catcher to now Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart, who are two of the most respected veteran defensive catchers in the league and working with pitchers. That was a significant improvement. So they went from a 4 double ERA to a 3-3-3, which is second in baseball to the Rays. Now, the Cardinals last season, they had the 10th best ERA in baseball, 3-7-9. Their ERA through at this their point of the season. Well, through the for the whole season. For the whole season, okay. The whole season, yeah. Now through their first month, and again, small sample size. There are a lot of other. This isn't just an independent variable. There are other things, and the Cardinals' pitching staff is a little different from it was the way it was a year ago, but not significantly. So there's no more Jose Quintana, but they only had him for two months. So the Cardinals. Are, their ERA is almost up on an entire run from 3.79 to 4.49. So they now have the 19th best ERA wow. in baseball. My question to you, O, as someone who played this game, how important is a catcher and his ability to work with a pitching staff, call a good game? Part of it is the unit, like a, like a Molina and how, how good he was with that. How much value should we put, be putting on that versus, hey, here's a guy who might not be great at those things, but he can hit? Yeah, no, it's a dramatic. You know, we, we, most recently we've seen it with Gary Sanchez and the, and the Yankees, you know, a guy who could hit and was a noticeably deficient catcher. Um, and finally they had to move on from him, you know. Um, I think personally in my tenure – of playing, um, I played with a Hall of Fame catcher in Japan in, in my almost, you know, my five plus years in Japan, um, who was just incredible. An average hitter, 250 hitter with not, you know, a decent little power, but my God, he could, his name was Ito, could he frame, catch, 
pick off, you know, was kind of like the heart of our team, though he wasn't even close to being the best all-around athlete, you know, of which we had myself and two other other Hall of Fame guys um, that, you know, took that mantle. But he was the glue, I, I would say. And, and we had an incredible pitching staff. But when he was out, it was noticeable. And he, he wasn't out much, but there was a couple of times in my five years that, you know, he got nicked up and whatever, and, and Ito had to sit out. And, and, and you did realize it. Um, you know, played with uh, a, a guy like uh, Benito Santiago, who, you know, had could block, had one of the greatest arms, you know, um, and and I think he was, you know, special. And you saw him jump around and everywhere that he went, Toronto, you know, um, uh, the Giants when they went to the World Series. You know, Benito was an impact catcher. So I think it's it's important. I didn't realize how that that our boy Contreras was in that Gary Sanchez level. I really didn't. I, I can't say that I watched that many Cubs games. I just know that I thought he was always gutsy behind the plate and was a raw raw guy. And then offensively, he's a beast. So it it it's, and when it's he a came up, oh, as a prospect, he was a lot of people believed he would be an elite defensive catcher. That's what I remember hearing. I mean, again, it's not, you know, a team that, you know, and I'm more of an American league, especially, you know, in the last dozen years being with the Rays. So I didn't get to see him as much, but I think uh, people looked at the tools and the ability and the physical gifts of what this guy could be, but there's more to it than that. Oh yeah. At the major levels of the day to day and calling the game. Pitch framing, which is not an athletic trade. It's, it's a different. I'll give you, I'll give you the lesser of the Molinas, you know, because you obviously have Yadier, uh, Benji, but Jose, Jose stuck around. Joe Madden swore by Jose Molina and he was hitting a buck 90, you know, his last couple of years, but my goodness, would he be in there about two or three times a week? And, and the way that he, you know, like massage the game and, and, and develop certain those young pitchers. Remember, Marla, the Rays are always turning over call-ups and call-downs and options. So, you know, you need a guy that, that has the patience and, and the know-how. So, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Albert? Yeah, I think um, I think it's really interesting. I, I... – I was I was kind of close to I mean I don't want to say shocked but I was very very surprised when Wilson Contreras was not moved at the trading deadline in July last year I think again we talk about you know not being in the middle the Cubs were not a team that was competing it was an expiring contract it was pretty obvious they weren't going to bring him back so you know there is no incentive to keep a player like Wilson Contreras who's about to be you know walk in free agency well you do get a comp pick so yeah, you, 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 gotta, you get a competition pick right you get what a pick, are you being right? offered versus do we like the comp pick. Right, right. And that, that, that is a good point. Again, baseball's probably the sport of all of the big ones where a first-round draft pick has the least, you know, weight compared to football, which is massive, or the NBA. But, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting when he didn't move last year because I thought he could have helped a few contenders, the Astros being one. And then now as he comes into the Cardinals, he signed him for five years, 
you know, I honestly, I thought this was actually a really good signing for the Cardinals. I was like, the, you know, catching is too. Catch, the catching position at Major League Baseball isn't as deep as it used to be. And guess what? I think it's almost as important as it's been in many, many years. There's number one, there's a lot of information out these days. So hitters are being solved and pitchers repertoires are being, you know, kind of like curated specifically to like, this is how we get people out. So like the guys are really good at game planning, really good at pitch calling or game calling um, matter. And again, um, stolen bases are way more important, way more important. uh, effective and valuable these days. So having an important catcher matters a lot. I thought the Cardinals made a great signing by him. And now, you know, the rumors are that Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty got together and had a part in getting Wilson Contreras moved off of the catching position. That's a big statement. When a guy like Adam Wainwright speaks against, you know, your case yeah. as a catcher, people are going to listen, you know. And, and uh, Albert, this- that's, that kind of stuff was happening in Chicago too. There are certain pitchers that did not want him catching for them you darvish being one of them right yeah it's when when there's that when when us as outsiders here and you know the media or whatnot start to hear those rumblings that's bad news because that means that there's there's definitely a major disconnect between the pitcher catcher relationship um that's just you know and i it's funny oh and jack you mentioned like what's going on with the cardinals are usually like you know the midwest darling of baseball you know everyone always considers the cardinals fans to be just super gracious and kind and this is the first time i feel like we've gotten some venom from that fan base like there's <laughs> people are not happy with john mosliak and what's happening yeah. you know, you know it's know. like one month of a struggle and all of a sudden these like really friendly nice it's like a bad fans. month though bro that's 24 losses i mean that's yeah like, they've turned into some rough. philadelphia boo birds like they're they are <laughs> turning the tide has turned quickly this is say uh, it ain't so say it yeah. ain't so it's a little it's a little bit of a different mid, temperature the, the jack vita the midwesterners you guys are supposed to be the sweetest people in the world Other, <laughs> yeah. unless it's, unless you're talking cubs cubs white Sox, you're the sweetest people <laughs> Because I've, I've gotten in a taxi and I've accidentally said, are uh, you a Cubs fan? And the guy said, get out of my cub. Oh, the salt of the earth is getting a little salty right now. Right. Right. It's not good. This is it's not, not good. good. Man, They'll so. throw you out of a cab. And <laughs> but uh, no, it's not, interesting. not I think as that... West nice as you think. No. no They're no, nicer I, I in Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota sweet people. But for that matter, Toronto is a is a great fan base and really nice, beautiful Great city. By the way, uh, just to close off the catchers are very important to a team segment. Um, I, that reminds me of 90s Bravos and their situation, which was Albert. Well, Greg Maddox always had a personal catcher when it was uh, started. With, <laughs> he did uh, not like Javi Lopez. <laughs> he did not. It started with Charlie O'Brien, then it was Eddie Perez, and uh, – there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of it, it was always interesting in the playoffs, man. Javi Javi Lopez would be hitting like 280 with 30 home runs, and yes. it's like game three of the of the NLCS, <laughs> and like it's just Eddie Press back there hitting like 25. But they do that had 30 bombs. Yeah, and you, just, and you just got Javi Lopez sitting on the bench because there's no there's no DH back then. There's so no um, that's that's always been an interesting thing. The idea of a personal catcher, you know, you know, you mentioned two of the catchers that came over for the Cubs that are making a big difference: Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. Jan yeah. Gomes, the guy. Barry, pride of Barry University here in Miami, Florida, where uh, he was a Sunshine State Conference Player of the Year. Guys like that who can catch and are just veterans and can stick around for a long time, um, they eat in the big leagues for a long time, like Jose Molina and those type of guys. No and um, deservedly so. Deservedly so, man. And, and I think it's 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 an interesting nuance of 
what's happening in baseball. You know, the Braves made an interesting trade this this offseason where they traded uh, Wilson Contreras' younger brother, William. And people were like, why are you trading him? He was an all-star last year. And they brought in Sean Murphy from Oakland. And Sean Murphy has proven to be um, just an absolute elite, not just a defensive catcher, but offensive uh, player. And I think that's kind of what they're doing now is, guys, is the mantra of having like a two-headed monster. It used to be like – it's yeah, kind of like the NFL. Point. Yeah, it's kind of like the NFL, right, where the NFL used to be like Emmitt Smith's our running back, this are – but now – almost every team has like a two-headed monster at running back. And that's kind of what a lot of these teams are doing. They're finding, you know, the Braves have Darno and um, and Murphy behind the plate as a combination. You know, it's such an important thing. The, yeah. the Rays, uh, Betancourt and Mejia really working out beautifully. Betancourt and Mejia, you know. Yeah, the, Toronto the with uh, Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, yeah, you're um, right. I mean, Baltimore's different because you know they they've got you know a potential superstar, superstar, right, and a switch hitter at, at that. So you're not you're not even. Well, they still find ways for McCann to get in there. So what they do is they get they Rushman. Do find McCann. Yeah, yeah, they get Rushman at the DH position, maybe at first a little bit, but having a two headed monster and having that depth of catcher is something yep. that I think yep. the smarter, the better organizations have always done it. Even the Astros, right? Like you know, they'll build a great team, but they'll have a really good defensive catcher. Martin, you know, Martín Maldonado will be back there. There's a lot of emphasis in having somebody stable back there who can provide, um, you know, value through the pitching staff. I got to ask Albert because before um, we get going here, are the Atlanta? Yeah, I got to ask you guys a couple, couple more things. All right, too, I, but I want to know from him because I mean, he is he is all things Bravos. Um, if and, he, and you know, we both guys are very talented in knowing all the things that are going on with the Braves. I'm more old school. I mean, not the Braves, but Major League Baseball. Um, I'm more old school and, and, you know, inside as far as the X and O's of having played it at, the, at that level. But are the Braves the best roster in, in Major League Baseball right now? It's close. Um, you know, in the last week to 10 days, there's been a couple, <coughs> excuse me, um, negative news. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw today, but Max Freed yeah. um, Ooh, was diagnosed with a, um, with a tender um, left elbow. Um, they said the Rise came back. Negative, so he will not need Tommy John, but he's definitely going to be shut down for six to eight weeks. Oh wow! Um, which is a huge blow to the oh, Braves. Wow. Kyle Wright, uh, midweek last week, came out of the start against the Marlins with shoulder inflammation. So that's two of the big starters for the Braves. Yeah. Kyle Wright and Max Fried are going to be out. Um, so without those two pieces, I think the the dynamics change a little bit. Um, you know, uh, there's a guy in, in AAA that you guys are familiar with. His name's Mike Soroka. Hasn't pitched in many years, but he. Uh, Man, the Braves are going to probably look to him to get an opportunity now to come up and get some important innings. Um, Alex Anthopoulos is going to have to maybe um, look into that trade market a little earlier. He's normally a guy who likes to wait until the late, until the wee hours of the trade market, but they might have to go get somebody earlier to, to supplant uh, the pieces he's lost in the starting rotation. But um, the Braves, top to bottom, have a really nice nucleus. Uh, they have... A great lineup, one through nine. The back end of the bullpens are starting to get a little healthier. Rysel Iglesias just came back from uh, early uh, stint on the IL with shoulder inflammation. But um, starting pitching, man, that's important. That's been kind of the Braves' calling card the last few years. Um, so losing Freed and losing Kyle Wright, who Kyle Wright led the National League in wins last year uh, with 21 wins, that's that's going to be a big blow for that team. So they're especially when you have teams like the Phillies, who just got Bryce Harper back, the Mets, who just got Justin Verlander back, you have these teams that are coming for you in your division who are not going to be, you know, they're not just going to 
you know, sit in neutral. Um, that race is, to me is going to be the most interesting. I mean, the two East races, really, the AL East. East, races East are ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Almost be every team incredible in. races down the yeah. stretch. I think. Yeah, good point. All right, so, and I agree with you. I'd be more concerned about the Mets and the Phillies. I think the Met Phillies are hangover this season, but definitely going to be a difficult team to play. Um, okay, I got a couple more things. We touched on St. Louis. They're 12-24. and 24. Now, they've won their last two games. They got a two-game win streak going. They got a chance here in Chicago to maybe get some wins back. Are you guys counting? Are, is St. Louis dead yet? Are they close to being dead? What, no. What's the pulse on St. Louis? No, they're not dead. You know, I mean, it's, it's a rough start. I mean, but they're they're far from dead. This is when you when you have the pedigree and the overall still you know intact roster that they have. Um, I don't think that you ever count out a St. Louis. So what? They're nine back. It's scary. Yeah. But Pittsburgh is you know Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh just, just lost seven straight. Yeah, Pittsburgh just won and, and they snapped their seven game streak. So you know. But but that goes to show you how quickly you know Pittsburgh can can dive. Uh, if there's any real the team in that division to be leery of is the Milwaukee Brewers. You know uh, I think the, it, it's Milwaukee. Um, not really super high on on the Cubs nor the Reds. So um, I think the Cubs are you know it'd be nice to think that they can be back in there. I don't think so. So I, the I Cubs think are the, in the middle. That's like an the Cubs are truly a middle, a middle team. team. <laughs> Talking about you know Albert's uh, you know uh, description of middle. Yeah, they're pretty much that. That's what they are. And St. Louis can turn this around. They, let's say they reel off you know seven straight. Is that unfathomable for the St. Louis Cardinals to, to, to put together in right. the next? Month or so, they won seventeen just like less than a year, like a year and a half ago. They won seventeen, they won 17 in a row. Yeah, in September. I didn't remember that. Um, but uh, so you know, it's the the little engine that could kind of scenario. That's the beauty of of um, the the marathon that is a major league season because not only do you have to putt putt and keep on, <laughs> but obviously the other teams are are getting bombarded with another. We have another game today. There's another game today. There's another game today? Yeah, there's another game today. So it, trust me, man. I, I mean, my first, you know, true big league season of 153 games out of 162, um, I was exhausted. <laughs> you know, so, um, it, you know, you learn how to do it, and that's why a team like the Cardinals, unlike, you know, a younger team like the Pirates, you know, I think will they'll, they're, they're not done. Far from it. Albert? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're done either. I think that they, uh, if they were the, if they're in the NL East, they'd be, it'd be an uphill. They're climb. done. They're scary. done. In, yeah, if right, they're right. in either East Division, it's over. Yeah, right. the worst because division. Of who in you got? Yeah, I'm talking about just to make the playoffs. Yeah. Right. You know, I think first. relatively speaking, they they are still within arm's reach of being competitive in that division. Their roster is strong enough. Um, their pitching is um, shown. That it's a little, it's it gotten exposed a little bit. You know, Adam Rain, Wainwright is, you know, he's an older guy. Jack Flaherty's been very, man, he's been very volatile when he's good. He's really good when he's bad. He's really bad. Um, he, they, they, they can, they can still probably circle the wagons. I think. I agree with O. It's really gonna, in my opinion, it's really gonna come down to the Brewers and them. Um, the Cubs have played well early. Um, is Cody Bellinger start sustainable? I don't know. Um, I don't. 
I don't really think so. I don't know if their pitching really has enough. They're the back end of their bullpen. The back end of their bullpen is a mess right now. They're trying a combination between Brad Boxberger and uh, you Michael know Fulmer. Mark Leiter Jr. and Mark. You know, Fulmer's been a disaster. You know, there's talk about Alize Al- Al- coming in and becoming a closer, but their bullpen's kind of in disarray. I don't necessarily think the Cubs are a long-term competitor this year, but um, I think the Cardinals can. Th- that's a winning franchise who knows how to make smart decisions. Um, and I'm just interested to see which team is going to be the first buyer this year because there's some mm, really yeah. there's some cuspy teams who can really go out and say, all right, who can we go buy from you know the teams that are out of it? Because there's some clear teams that are out of it, right? The Nationals are out of it, right? You know, the, the White Sox are out of it. The, the White Sox are probably going to be sellers early. Um, you know, Oakland's going to sell whatever's Oakland sell anything, they'll sell a cap out of their dugout. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're like, you want a hot dog guy? We got a great hot dog guy, Frank. He's the best. Everything must go. So there, there's going to be some teams that have some nice clearance sales. Um, and which of these teams in the middle are going to go get them? Is it going to be the Braves to solidify the rotation? Is it going to be, you know, the Astros, the, the Cardinals? Um, the Mets are, I expect, to always continue to be aggressive. So. Uh, which teams are going to be buyers and how are they going to position themselves? As and why? Okay, I, I, I know you have one more question, but I want to ask both of you guys. Why are the San Diego Padres, you know, kind of blood, you know, just hanging around there and playing barely 500 baseball? Well, they have an interesting situation with Tatis coming back. Like, that's yeah. obviously yeah. going to be a little bit of a media circus. Yeah. Okay. There's some of that. You got some of that. I mean, I think their team is actually kind of top-heavy. Like, if you look past the top four, they're relying on a lot of veterans like Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz, and I don't entirely love their lineup. And their pitching staff, Blake Snell, has not been good this year. That That's, that's a, you know, yeah, that, that one hurts. Darvish yep. is inconsistent. He's either great or he's not great. He's typically not in the middle. Like when I agree. I totally agree. I just don't get it because then, those, those are two great. Those are very good arms. One great, yeah. one good. Well, the only thing that's weird is like they had a guy like Ryan Weathers who steps in the rotation. He does well. And he gets bumped out once the rest of their staff starts getting healthy. Whereas, so now you got Michael Walker in there, Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove's good. Um, but Joe then Musgrove's like, great, but I don't even, is he back? Yeah, he just got back. Okay. But so they got Musgrove back and then, you know, even the end of the rotation, like they might be looking at a Cole Hamels as a guy who comes up later this summer once he's finished rehabbing his shoulder Most. and pitching in triple a <laughs> El Paso. So I don't think that their pitching is very good. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, the that's a team top that, heavy. I guess, I guess that's, that's the, the main Problem for him. It's a team that's supposed to be, you know, an offensive juggernaut, but Manny Machado's really underperformed this year after being, you know, the runner up in the MVP last year. Juan Soto, since he's left Washington, hasn't really been. He's got a little hot here in the last week or so, but you're right. He's been subpar. Nightingale reported two weeks ago that San Diego is concerned about Juan Soto and. They're going to they're going to be players for Otani this winter. Yeah. If they land Otani, they may trade Soto. Trade Soto to get before Ohtani. that contract's up because they're not going to re-sign Soto. Right, right, right. But um, now they're going to be. You're counting I mean, on Cole Hamels at 39 years old. You're in trouble. 
Yeah. <laughs> you count on Anderson, Mason, so. <laughs> Come on now. But uh yeah, no, I just I just wonder because they're they're a team that intrigues me. I'm you know, it's not like I'm a big fan um of the Padres. I'm I, I tend to be more in the West to be more of a Dodger fan per se. And, it, and you know what's funny, they're they're in they're in a really interesting spot because they've committed so much money and they've made That's so many aggressive trades and they've added so much. That if it doesn't work with this nucleus, the future will be very difficult for them because they don't have a bunch of prospects coming. They don't have a bright future, right? It's almost come to me kind of funny. It reminds me of the first iteration of AJ Preller's, um, you know, tenure there, where he made the big splash where he traded for Craig Campbell and Justin Upton and added right. all these big Matt names, Bill Myers, and he's like, "Wow, I'm like, oh, the right. Padres are going to be incredible," and then it just didn't work, and then yeah. they were really bad until Tatis came through, until they, you know, even Machado was kind of a weird sign for them. You're like, they weren't really ready for Machado when they got him. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait, okay, they got Tatis. And now they're like, have Xander Bogarts. And now they have all these like, you know, big names there, but it could get ugly for them in a hurry if that, if that, if that group doesn't click together, because, you know, they're, all of their eggs are in the, in, in that, in this basket right now. Like they're, they're, they're fully committed. Their chips are in the middle. So they really needed to work with this group. And you know what's funny is we mentioned our buddy Cole Hamels. They've got they've picked up a lot of guys like that. Like if I was looking at who's played in AAA for the Padres the last two years, Robinson Cano. Uh, they just picked up Jose Iglesias. Julio Tehran is in AAA with the wow. Padres right now. The El Paso El Paso Chihuahuas, baby. Uh, a, a former Rays, uh, a former Rays uh, All World prospect, been one of their key bullpen arms, Brent Honeywell. Right? They have a lot yeah. of like really ancient. Yeah. What a wonderful guys. young, what a great kid that guy is. I, I, yeah, I, I he's finally found himself a niche, niche in the big leagues after being like the consensus All World number one, you know, pitching yeah. prospect. Good, he's good, pitching good, like good, seventh good. and eighth inning for them, and a lot of guys like that. A lot of reclamation type projects. Yeah, that, Rugnit Odor, Nomar Mazara. And yeah, they're all in Triple A. Well, they've all been in AAA. Oh. Like, Odor's at the major league level now, but I'm pretty sure yeah, that yeah. was a minor league deal. Yeah. And even if he wasn't, it's a reclamation project. Nomar Mazara is another one. I know they... Doesn't uh, that seem like too much? Because, I mean, don't you want to be developing players? You know? Well, they, they've been empty, emptying out the tank on oh, these they've been emptying this. You're right, because they've been giving up all these guys in order to, to sign certain players or, or, or trade. Personally, another thing about that, I mean, I talked to Cole... I talked to Kyle Kendrick. I talked to Ben Francisco, and they all said the same thing about what made those Phillies teams different that they played for. Not only were all the players tight, all the wives were tight, the kids were friends with each other. There was a different team chemistry with those teams than with other teams that they played for. And my opinion is you typically aren't going to have that same kind of – it's harder to establish that kind of team chemistry when you're just – pulling up, you know, parts from other organizations when these guys aren't coming up through the farm system and spending a lot of time with each other. Right. So that could be another part, team chemistry. They're, they're uh, as they would say, they are on the clock. They're on the clock. Okay, my last thing I wanted to ask, because we teased ALS at the start and we didn't get too deep into it, but that's fine. We can talk more next week with whoever our guest is. But... I want to know kind of, you know, we touched on it. We're not, none of us are overly concerned about Houston. However, I will say, given Houston's start, because Houston won this division by 15 or 16 games last year up on Seattle. 
And I know Seattle's off to a slow start. And Seattle, their offseason acquisitions, none of those guys have really given them much of anything offensively. Teoscar Hernandez, he's banged two, he's he's got a 416 OPS. Or sorry, that's a slugging. Really? Uh, Wow. Slugging. Yeah. Okay. I got that wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes you see a slash line. And I'm wow. like, what, what, what is that? But he's betting 226. He's got 267 on base. Um, Colton Wong, he's betting 188. AJ Pollock is betting 153. Cooper Hummel is betting 087. And then Tommy LaStella just recently got uh, released with a 190 average. So none of the new guys that they've brought in yet have made a significant contribution and made this team much better. At the same time, however, Seattle did not play well the first couple of months last year. And the difference between last year and this year was that Houston was a juggernaut. They won 106 games. I think Houston is still the favorite to win this division, but I don't think they're going to be running away with this division. I think, you know, the Angels are interesting. Texas, I'm not entirely believing it. But oh, Texas, believe Texas, baby. Believe They have a Texas. plus 86 run differential. Believe Texas. They have put together a roster. You believe in the Rangers, huh? I am I am a Ranger believer. I I I I've lately I've been watching them and, and you know kind of really keying an eye on them and going, wait a second, this this could work. And um, I'm very intrigued by the Texas Rangers, man. And, you know, uh, they've got a lot of young arms in there that that uh, that I think are going to really impress. And then they brought in the veteran arms, obviously, with the signings. But um, I, I just watch out for Texas. I think this might be they might be this might be their year of a, a really good mix of veteran starters with some electric um, young arm bullpen, you know, uh, relievers, and then offensively, is it's been been fun to watch. I mean, they've got they got one of the most you know electric outfielders hitters in in baseball, man. With 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 that kid uh, Garcia. I mean, holy cow, you know. So yeah, all this is uh, the real deal, and and quietly, you El know, bombin. huh? His nickname is El Bombin. El Bombin, uh, yeah. uh, you know, so. This is a this is an interesting little team. Watch out. Well, Albert needs to give a rebuttal because earlier he said, "I I don't believe in Texas at all. I think they're in the middle." Yeah, so I think ahead, the Albert. Rangers. I think the Rangers are. Um, what what intrigues me about them is they have some interesting pitching in their minor league system. I think pitching is really what they're at a deficit at. Um, Jacob Degrom obviously was their big splash, but man, he's so tantalizing when he's healthy, but he's so often injured. And he's really needs to be a cornerstone for them to compete. Um, I like to see, you know, they have some some interesting guys. They have, um, you know, a couple of the top. They have Jack Leiter in their in their minor league system. Kumar Rocker has been throwing the ball really well. Um, you know, they have Cole Wynn, who's going to be I think is going to be a really nice starting pitcher down the road for them. I think they're a couple of years away. Oh, um, to answer Jack's question though about the Mariners, man, they have some really nice pitchers. They have you know George Kirby and Logan Gilbert and Luis Castillo has been phenomenal. But you look at that offense, and to me, it's not, you know, it's just Jerry Depoto, man. He's been aggressive on the trade market the last few years. He's been a, a swashbuckling guy, just trading and adding and, and subtracting. But I think they've missed the mark with what wins in, not, in, in today's baseball. And look at that lineup. It's just every how many guys there have an on-base percentage under 300, on-base percentage under or around 300. Yeah. 
it's just paltry. They don't have guys who they don't have guys who get on base. Julio Rodriguez, who's supposed to be the face of the franchise, has gone off to a slow start. Um, they did that last year, though. They did yeah. that last year. Right. Jared Kelnick has actually been probably their best offensive player and is finally um, – I, I, I guess I, I say finally. I mean, he's like, what, he's 23 years old? But he's uh, <laughs> finally coming into his own as what the offensive prospect they thought he'd and be. But Mario Lanza, I, friend of the show, uh, yeah. friend of Albert and mine, huge they Mariners fan, he said that – he said that Jared, it's like Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez have swapped bodies. Yeah, right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. It's what's happened, but it's just, man, if you look at that lineup, it scares me because they have a lot of low on base percentage guys who are, you know, you know, Eugene, you know, Gino Suarez is a guy who's going to hit for power, but he's going to be a 200 average, 290 on base guy. You have Oscar Hernandez is really a traditional on base guy, Colton Wong. So just, you're just going to have, you're going to struggle scoring runs when your team gets on base at, at that kind of a clip. And it's like, you know, even Juan Soto and his struggles in San Diego. Yeah. He was hitting 180, but his on base was 375. Like the guy's still getting on base. So he's still able to score runs. They, they have a lot of issues. Cal Raleigh was another power bat for them. Not really an on-base guy. They just have a bunch of guys that don't fit to me in terms of like run, like creating runs the way that the best teams in baseball create runs, the Astros, um, you know, those type of teams. They don't have guys that get on base a lot. The Rays, man, think about why they score so many runs. Like, oh, made a good point. Like, yeah, the home runs are a surprise, but the Rays always kind of had some on-base dudes. Like Yandy Diaz gets on yeah. base. Um, they always have guys who give you good at-bats. The the Mariners are kind of Harold like Ramirez, Harold Ramirez over the last yeah. hundred so long game. <laughs> right, right. They're they're almost like the anti Rays offensively. They just have a bunch of guys that get backs. Um, and that to me is scary because you you have to be able to score runs. Um, they're pitching. You, you're just putting too much pressure on a young pitching staff. They have, they got some good pitchers, but you're putting too much pressure on a young pitching staff if you if you can't score runs. But I will add this to because it will circle back to the to the Contreras. Uh, segment and episode and, and comments. Jonah Heim, oh with yes. the Texas Rangers, is off to a dramatic start. So remember, the spine of the game is very, very important. And Jonah Heim is a youngster, but a phenomenal. Have you seen this kid catch? He's great. Holy cow! His release is just dramatic, and he's like six three, six four, built. I mean, he's he's a behemoth and can pop. So I'm I'm gonna hold strong. I'm not expecting them to you know to run away with it by any stretch, but I'm gonna hold strong with my Texas Rangers being in the mix there uh, deep in the season. So, Corey Seager should be back soon too, man. That's Corey Seager. So when you're talking about the 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 the, the spine of, of you know you've got Tavares you know in center field and uh, who's a phenomenal defensive player. You know you've got Heim. You've got Corey Seager will be back soon. Um, this is a, you know, and obviously you add, you added, uh, uh, Marcus, uh, Simeon, you know, so this is a, an offensive team that could be, be interesting. And, and, uh, they call up some of those young arms with all the veteran starters. It could be, could be interesting. Well, I'm just going to say it right now. You've got Texas 21 and 13 angels, 20 and 16 Houston and Seattle 17 and 18. Right now, I think any of those four teams can win the division. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to see the Angels make a push with the greatest player in the world, you know. 
Uh, What's great is when he says that, we don't know who he's talking about. That's a great point because <laughs> as I said that, as I said that, I go, wait a second. What about Trout? You're like, you're like the greatest player in the world and Mike Trout too. <laughs> <laughs> but it could go the other way. It could be the greatest player in the world and Shohei Otani. <laughs> no, yeah. No, the greatest player in the world is Shohei Otani because you just can't do what he's doing. And uh, the greatest every day. So you just need that one right. word. Everyday player. But no, but wait a second. Shohei plays every day, too. But no, you know what I mean. That's not a pitcher. Is Mike Trout. And he's reproving that again this year. But um, Boy, it'd be fun to see them in the postseason, though, right, though? And, and that's what there. I'm saying. I think it's, it's interesting that we started with the WBC and we're going to probably end, to some degree, back to the WBC. Because <laughs> those two guys, you know, made the WBC. And um, along with so many other aspects of, of the well-run and well-presented WBC and produced, so to speak, um, you need – it's interesting. You know, we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs, and you've got Kobe – Kobe, God God bless his soul. Um, you've got LeBron James, you know, up against, you know, Steph Curry and some of you know, other great, you know, the Joker. And there, there's certain things you want, right, and you need to perpetuate the excitement of this day and age that we live in that is very, give me some excitement right now, I need it now. Man, would that be cool to have the Angels, you know, in the playoffs uh, and have the talents of of Trout and, and the great Shohei Otani being, you know, front and center. Yeah, think about that. Baseball is the only sport really, now you mentioned that, oh, and Jack, think about this. Probably the only sport that hasn't had one of the top three, you know, players in the in the game at the biggest stage in right. several years, right? You, you've, you've pulled them away from it because even Harper – you know, it, 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 he, you know, he was there several times. He wasn't there when they won, but he was at the precipice of it. And he was there last year, you know, again, uh, though he hasn't won, but he's... Yeah, you, haven't had, you haven't had Otani, you haven't had Trout, you haven't had Judge, you haven't had really the, like, top, top, top flight yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, Judge gotten to, to the to the mountain top, you know, to the mountain uh, side, so to speak, yeah. you know, but he hasn't gotten climbed up over the top. But you, you need to get one or more of those guys, you know, facing off each other. Can you imagine hypothetically? And and if and if we had to finish out and say, okay, who's going to be in the World Series? I don't see it being Angels and the Phillies. But you know, if you had a matchup of Shohei Otani against you know uh, Bryce Harper, I mean, that's that's monumental, you know. Yeah, I mean, of course, I can't say that because I'm getting in trouble as we leave the show with one Albert Destrade because he's already biting his tongue right now, going, "What? What are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe Shohei Otani versus Ronald Acuna Jr." Oh, yeah, Listen, I'm just hoping Shohei Otani stays in the American League West and doesn't come over to the Dodgers or the Mets or whatever. Well, that'll be for next year. Yeah, he's going to be in a World Series, and it's not going to be with the Angels. It's yeah. going to be with somebody else. And I'm hoping he goes to my original major league team called the New York Yankees because that's where he belongs because he is the reincarnate of Babe Ruth. And where did Babe Ruth really make himself famous? The New York Yankees. Case closed. Yes, I'm a Yankee fan. I have heard. I don't. I don't believe uh, he's going to the East Coast. Basically, I know. I know. A lot of people yeah. don't feel that way. It's gonna be West Coast. Maybe Seattle gets in there. Maybe Seattle is not going to get in there. Are you kidding me? They're, they're going to have to offer him a billion dollars, which is not, you know, impossible in this day and age. But you're, Seattle's not going to get him. He's going to stay in the West Coast. It'll probably they're be the, the Dodgers. It'll probably be the Dodgers. 
but there are there is two people by the name of uh, of uh, uh, Cohen and and Steinbrenner that have very deep pockets and may just go stupid. You know, <laughs> they might just go stupid because the Mets owner is is up there in in potential craziness. All right, so we're an hour 40 in. I think that was we got, fun, though. We, that it was, was a, a blast. We got to wrap things up. So uh, closing thoughts, uh, anything that you guys want to plug or promote that you're working on? Albert first. Yeah, we're uh, appreciate having us on. Been a ton of fun. Um, you know, for those in the area, uh, O's had me on a couple times for the uh, for his show, The Ozone, on uh, local Tampa markets. Been a lot of fun to do that. Um, if you want to check me out, I have a podcast called "It's Not Polite to Ask." Uh, we're just getting that re. Um, I love the name. Running here. It's not, <laughs> not polite, polite to, to ask. ask. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's uh, that's our show, and uh, appreciate it. Man. If you like my stuff, follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram. It's uh, at the word zero underscore votes. I'm good, man. I'm just I'm glad to be here, man. I'm old G. I'm old school, man. You just uh, I want Jack Vita to continue to thrive, and the Jack Vita show be. Uh, Something special because you really bring a lot of exuberance and 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 knowledge. I mean, the bottom line of this game of baseball now and all sports as a combination of of true you know entertainment, but it also has the dynamics of being on the internet and having to really follow all the nuances of the statistics and the analysis and the analytics. So uh, I think both of you guys do a great job of that. Uh, I'm just passionate about. Baseball, I'm passionate about sports. Last thing I'm going to say, tomorrow night, this is, you know, as we as, as we take this, it's Tuesday, right? My birthday was yesterday, May 8th. Go, oh. I'm birthday, oh. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm, I, I just turned, last year I turned 60. This year I turned, this, this year I turned 61. Um, <laughs> yeah, you heard me right. Um, and you guys will be using that years from now when you get to that point. Man, you know what? The heck with that I. I'm gonna turn that into an E. Um, but 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 uh, tell that one to your dad when you're playing golf. By the way, uh, But uh, I will say this. Lastly, tomorrow night I will be proven right, as he was on my show last week, and I said these words to one Albert Destrade: the Lakers in five. The Lakers, did I not say that? You said it. It's still, to be, it's still to be shown. It's still to be shown because it's got they got a big mountain to climb. But the Lakers in five, that'll make me. Oh, LeBron must have heard you. He's been hungry, man. He's been. I, he's, be, I will be texting both you guys going, yeah, the OG was <laughs> right. You're going to make that. me actually watch an NBA game, oh. Dude, I am. I haven't watched an NBA game since like 2019. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I am a huge NBA playoffs guy. Regular season. Yeah, but uh, you know, every now and then I'll catch a you know an interesting game. But uh, I'm an I'm, I'm glued to it in the playoffs. The storylines are are dramatic and they're exciting, and you've seen all the controversy and the chipping and the Dylan Brooks and the thing. It's 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 uh, talk about a soap opera. But I love this baseball season. It's going to be exciting. There's so much parody, so much uh, surprise. Uh, we just spent talking about historic teams struggling and young blood teams thriving uh it's going to be a fun fun summer all right we'll do it again in a month guys thanks for coming on you got it having us all right y'all i hope you all enjoyed our conversation today with albert destrade and arrestus destrade it's always fun when we have 
the baseball family here on the show. I always enjoy talking with them. I'm sure we'll do another one of those sometime soon, probably next month. Later this week, I will be back with Survivor winner Danny Boatwright, and we're going to talk some more sports. Probably talk a little bit about the NFL draft, maybe a little baseball news, maybe, just maybe, some college basketball transfer portal news and discussion there as well. Uh, We had a great conversation with Danny last week. If you missed it, go back and check it out. We mostly talked about our time on Survivor. We talked about our Christian faith. And in our next episode, it'll be more sports-focused. So make sure you guys hit subscribe to the Jack Vita Show, wherever it is that you guys get your podcasts. I'll be back sometime next week for more baseball coverage. I'll share who my guest is later. I have not announced it quite yet. But... I actually have to figure it out. But we'll be back next week talking more ball. Uh, Until our next episode, you can find us on Jack Vita Show, jackvita.com. There's more content on my website, jackvita.com. I'm going to be writing more there for the time being. And then subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter is at Jack Vita Show. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, that's my at Jack Vita Show. And then YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the Jack Vita Show so you don't miss out on the great content that we have coming out to you, the listener. Until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs>